balance of community, has a good balance of freedom and a good balance of meaning. Um, but, the, but the idea is that you can't really achieve all of those things all at once, right? Because they work against each other. That's the idea of a triangle. And so the visual, at least up here, is of, of, of water, right? You've, you've got one thing of water, and if all of your water is in the cup of meaning, it, you're probably somebody who is like just sitting and reading and meditating and praying and and, and, and you're doing all the stuff that kind of seems meaningful and it's kind of the, 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 the world of the mind, but, but, but then you've lost community and you've lost a level of freedom. And so um, it's not that fulfilling of a life because we actually need all three elements. And, and so if you take some meaning and you pour it in the cup of community, what you usually have here is a community that's pursuing meaning, Right? So think of a church, right? A church that is, that is communal, tight-knit. Think of tight-knit communities. Like anybody grow up Christian Reformed? Anybody? No one grew up Christian Reformed? We, we got some brethren in the room, right? You grew up some Christian. Yeah, that's right. We got some brethren in the room. You had really tight-knit community, and you had a high level of meaning, right? You were thinking about deeper life stuff, talking about deeper life stuff. What did you lack? A little bit of freedom, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, it was really strict, right? And so when you have too much of these two, but you lack, you lack freedom. But then, but then there's danger on the other side of it too, right? We live in, a West, in the West where freedom is like the, the, the primary aim and goal, right? We're hyper-individualists. And so what we typically are aiming at, at least in our secular culture, is a high level of freedom. And what we don't want to lose necessarily is community, but what is the cost? The cost has been meaning. And so people who have a lot of freedom in their life and who have a lot of community, they're typically people who have a group of friends who travel all over the world and do whatever they please whenever they want, right? They're just, they're just giving in to whatever they desire. They're totally free. They've broken away from the chains that um, held them back. Uh, but oftentimes that actually leads to a life that lacks meaning, right? And then what sometimes you have is you might have a community or a life that is high in meaning and high in freedom, but you lack community. That's the kind of person who, who kind of just off on their own spiritual journey. Maybe it's the, I don't know if anybody is a part of like a, a, a house church that was really just like you and your uncle and your aunt's family and the weird neighbor who didn't, like don't know, nobody knew why they kept coming, but they kept coming. And like that was your experience at church. You had to break away from community because of church hurt and pain. And I don't want to minimize that, but you had to break free from it. And you had to start your own thing, right? And so you're free. You're free to explore how you want. You're free to pursue Jesus how you want. And you're pursuing meaning, but you're actually lacking community because community comes at a cost. Community comes at a cost of your own freedom. It works up against it, right? And so the idea is that what we're aiming at as a church at Southside, and, and I, think, I think everybody should be aiming at a fulfilled life, and I think the fulfilled life that Jesus promises us includes all three of these things. It, it includes a level of freedom. By, by Christ, we are, set, we are set free by Christ to live not just into the idea of like libertarian freedom, but, but actual freedom to live the right way. But, but we're called to do that in community. We're not called to do that individually alone. And we know what it's like to just chase something alone. You end up doing that for a few years, and you might find something there, but what you find yourself looking back on is not having anybody behind you, especially later in life, because you, you give up community. And we're also called to a life of meaning, like doing things that are actually purposeful and meaningful, not just like leisurely and slothful. And so this morning, 
we're talking a little bit more specifically about um, serving in the local church. And, and we, we've said, if this is your first time showing up this morning, I'm going to make you do something uncomfortable. Normally I'd apologize for it, but I'm actually not going to apologize for it because like, you don't have to do it. And you have freedom here. There's freedom here, but, but I'm going to invite you to do something a little bit later on in the service. But we're going to get there and we're going to tell you why we're getting there this morning. And we're going to focus in on 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. Uh, again, if you're new here and, um, and you don't really know what we do here, a lot of times on Sunday mornings uh, we spend time studying scripture and teaching from from Scripture, we believe that in its authority, and um, and that God teaches us through it uh, ways we ought to live, and 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 also um, how to pursue this balance of freedom, meaning, and community. And so, First Peter chapter four. If you want to open it up on your phones or your Bibles, I'm going to have some of the verses up, but I'm going to read it all the way through one to eleven, and then we're going to break it down piece by piece uh, for a little bit here. Verse one it says, "So then, just as the Messiah suffered in the flesh." You too must equip yourselves with the same mental armor. Someone who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of their mortal life no longer according to human desires, but according to God's will. Pagan ways of life had quite enough of your time already, and you should put all that behind you for good. All that uncleanliness, passion, drunkenness, excessive feasting, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. People are shocked that you don't know or you don't now join in with the same wild and reckless behavior, so they call down curses on you. But they will have to account for it before the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That is why, you see, the gospel was preached even to the dead, so that being judged in human fashion in the flesh, they might live in God's fashion in the spirit. The end of all things is upon us. You must keep sober then and self-discipline in your prayers. Above all, Keep absolutely firm in your love for one another, because love love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each of you has received a gift, so you should use it for ministry to one another, as good stewards of God's many-sided grace. If anyone speaks, they should do so, speaking to God's oracles. If anyone ministers, they should do it, as in the strength with God's grants, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus the Messiah. To whom be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I've called this uh, Sunday Serve Sunday because in a few minutes I'm going to invite you to get up and do something um, that we did a little while ago. There's probably half the people in the room last time we did it, so this is going to be absolute chaos and you might break a leg, but it'll be a good story to tell in a year or two from now. In the same way that we, um, at the church, a few weeks ago we were, we were studying the book of Philemon. And what we were seeing is that there is a strong ethic in um, the ways of Jesus in the direction of equality. And we get that in the book of Philemon. We get that other places as well. But, um, but what we notice, the difference between um, kind of our cultural assumptions around equality and pursuit of equality and then the Christian version of equality is that um, Christians are, are, are chasing equality uh, that's based in and rooted in the gospel of Jesus. And Paul's whole thing that he does in Philemon is he, is he basically goes, look, um, this is the way things are, and the reason we don't do things that way is not just because we somehow believe they're internally right or something like that. Like, it's actually because this is what Jesus did, and so we model Jesus' way. We live like Jesus. This is, the, this is the example of the cross, and so therefore we should treat people with equality. That's kind of what we said a few weeks ago. And, and I want to say uh, again this morning that what we're going to push into and talk about is again rooted in the gospel of Jesus. You'll notice this about the, uh, the authors of 
the New Testament, right? That uh, every ethic, every or every kind of moral position that they take often comes right back to the gospel of Jesus that we just observed through communion. And so in verse 1, we see it. We see it says, So then, just as the Messiah suffered in the flesh, you too must equip yourselves with the same mental armor. Someone who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of their mortal life no longer according to human desires, but according to God's will. The idea here that we see is that our suffering is produced by denying our flesh its desires. That's at least the context of what's happening here. That the suffering is talking about is that angst and that frustration and that pain of saying no to what your body wants, to what you want, the thing that you want to chase. He says, we say no to those desires and we suffer as a result of saying no, both internally because it's annoying to deny yourself what you want and externally because you'll see later people People chastise you and make fun of you for it. And we do that because our Messiah Jesus suffered in the flesh for the purpose of God's will. And so the denial of bodily cravings or our idolatrous pursuits is not a punishment. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a reordering of our desires and a prioritization for the purpose of God's will. Sometimes we, we, we ask the question, teenagers ask this all the time, like, why don't I get to have a lot of fun, mom? And they, you know, you're telling them, like, you can't go to that party. It's like, you don't love me. You don't want me to do that thing. I see some parents already looking over at their teenager. Like, yeah, yeah, I see. Listen up here, kids. Because um, you think it's a restriction from something, but it's actually an invitation to live in accordance with a greater desire that we have, a more transcendent desire, a more meaningful way of life, God's will. And so we say no to those things, and we're saying no in the way that Jesus said no to his human fleshly desire. Not fleshly in the sinful sense, but human desires that Jesus, the desire to live, period. Jesus said no to that. He suffered physical, bodily harm, torture, and death for the purpose of God's will. That's what Peter is tying this back to. And we've kind of lost that in this cultural conversation today. The idea of delaying gratification for the purpose of something greater. In, in the affirmation culture, it's just affirm the thing now. It's not say no to that now so that you can have the greater thing later, especially because we've taken God's will out of the whole conversation. But the question for us is people who are saying that we follow Jesus, which I'm assuming most people in this room would say that about yourself, and you're welcome here if you don't say that about yourself, but, but I'm talking mostly to people who do. The question for us, at least, is what have we said no to lately in order to say yes to God? Do you practice, do you have a rhythm of saying no to a desire, a fleshly desire, for the primary purpose and intention of saying yes to God? Or do you just kind of react as you go and hope that you get it right? Because the truth is, most of my life, I'm, uh, I hope that you grow to a level of maturity where you're kind of getting it right most of the time, but, but the invitation is to an actual intentional no in order to say an intentional yes to God's will. And maybe even being here this morning for some of you was that. There's people who are maybe here for the first time in a long time or first time ever or just even checking out church. You said no to sleeping in in order to say yes to be here. And I want to say kudos to you. It's a small thing, but it's not a small thing. But maybe those who that's a regular practice and rhythm, what are you constantly thinking about and processing through this lens of saying no to this in order to say yes to God's will. At least that's the invitation that we get in the scripture here. 
Peter goes on to say that pagan ways of life have had quite enough of your time already, and you should put all that behind you for good. I'm using a particular translation here that I really um, like. In this specific translation, to me, this, this line here just stuck out. You can take away the pagan, you can replace pagan with just like worldly or whatever the cultural moments, ways of life are. You can replace it with that. And it's it basically the question is, um, what in our day and age has had enough of our time, right? Like, what is it that we're doing? What is it that we're practicing? What are the rhythms of life that we're living? What are the, what are the things we're spending our time and our money and our energy and our resources on that we should at some point go, I think that's had enough of my time. I've got to put that behind me in order to pursue what is ultimately good. Peter here, in the context at least, he's referring to a specific set of things. But these are examples. Whenever you see this in the New Testament, sometimes we get locked into the specific examples. But really it's a list to basically say all kinds of things like this. So it's not exhaustive. But Peter's list is, for example, all that uncleanliness, all that passion, you can go to the next slide so you guys can see them written down. All that drunkenness, all that excessive eating, all that drinking parties, all that lawless idolatry. He says, people are shocked that you don't know how to join in with the same wild and reckless behavior. So they call down curses on you. But they will have to give an account before the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I uh, officiate weddings. I don't know if... Uh, if you've been to many weddings lately, but, but I officiate some of them. And um, I see a lot of families. And I see a lot of family parties. And uh, I'm seeing, and maybe this is just age. Maybe this is not different. Maybe this is not new. Maybe this is just me getting older and seeing things that I didn't see when I was younger. But I'm, but I'm um, I don't want to say this casually, but I also don't want to make this feel emotional um, because I don't know what your story is and your situation is, but, but I'm experiencing that um, there's a far more um, general exception of substance abuse and alcoholism in our community than I even knew myself growing up here. Like I've grown up here in Meadowvale um, and, and in and around the area and um, it's surprising to me the more that I show up to weddings, the more common and the more celebrated that is, not just with a few people at a party, but like it's the standard. Like it's the, it, there's almost no wedding that I attend that it's not an open bar that I'm, that I'm officiating. And very few of um, the people present are excited about anything other than the open bar. And, and I say that casually, but I also don't, I don't mean that casually. Like, it's a, it's a real problem. The reason why the LCBO could not close during the pandemic when churches had to um, is because that was going to cause an insane crisis, a mental health crisis, a health crisis, and, uh, and we just could not, it would just destroy our, the whole fabric of our societies. So they had to keep it open. Uh, alcoholism and substance abuse Issues are far more um, common than, than you and, and, and sometimes our Christian communities may, may know. Now, some of you guys come from homes, and you're like, no, I, I've seen that my whole life. I understand that. But some of us who have been protected from that lifestyle and families who haven't quite seen it that way, it's, it's um, like me, it's been a surprise, and it's been kind of tragic. And, and so I don't want to uh, move on from this list and go, 
ah, I don't see these as the primary issues that we have as Christians because we do and it is a thing. But it's a list. It's not an exhaustive list. And uh, when we're reading scripture here at Southside, our goal is to be introspective, not be thinking about other people, but be thinking about ourselves. And if, if, if uncleanliness, um, you know, inappropriate sexual activity, drunkenness, excessive feasting is not much of a problem to you, the question you need to ask yourself is, well, what are the things that I am pursuing that are not in the direction of God's way and of God's will for my life? And what's best for me? What ways have I spent my life and far too much time in my life pursuing things that aren't God's will? Tom Wright, he says, uh, he says it merely wastes time, wastes the time you could have been, when we get into, we start, there's so many things that we pursue that merely waste the time we could have been growing as a human being, discovering more about how God's love can transform our life and those around you. I think that's the, that might be the filter for all of us. Because I read that and I go, yeah, I got, I got a list of 10 and, and I'm just getting started on the kinds of things that I spend far too much time on. It's in the way of pursuing God's will, God's love, and his formation in my life to be a blessing to those around me. In verse 7 he goes on, he says, then in all things... Uh, the end of all things is upon us. You must keep sober then and self-discipline in your prayers. So he highlights the problem. He makes you ask the question, what is my role in this problem? And then Peter gives you, um, well, how we ought to respond as the body of Christ. Just keep sober and then self-discipline in your prayers. Above all, keep absolutely firm in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each of you has received a gift, you should use it for ministry to one another as good stewards of God's many-sided grace. So at least, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is Peter's list in response to that. What does he say? He says, be sober. He says, be self-disciplined in prayer. He says, love one another. He says, practice hospitality without whining about it. Sorry, complaining. Whining's a strong word. <laughs> and use your gifts for ministry and service. That's the response. And that's what he says, the life of someone who's pursuing God's will over pursuing the idolatry of the time. That's what it looks like. And then he goes on to say, why? So he says, if anyone speaks to you further on here in verse 11, if you're following, if anyone speaks, they should do so speaking to God's oracles. If anyone ministers, they should do so with the strength that God grants so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus the Messiah, to whom the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's the why. The why is because we follow Christ and Christ's example was this. And so when we follow Christ... In his example, this is what our life looks like, and the result is that God gets the glory whom deserves it forever and ever. Amen. We spent a lot of time in the past year talking about slowing down and becoming a non-anxious presence. If you've been following with us for any amount of time, you're probably annoyed at the, f the amount of times someone gets up here and says, we ought to slow down. And uh, 
that's going to continue until we do, which is probably forever, so get used to it. And we've got to tell each other that. That is not a top-down thing. But some of us are also coming from places and churches where we're left feeling a little bit overworked, a little bit overwhelmed by a season of serving. Sometimes we came from churches that were high in meaning and community and low in freedom. And some people have found the space here is a space of freedom for them away from that because they felt burnt out or over-anxious and they're looking to just lay low and take it easy and feel things out and, um, and sit and just listen for a bit. And, uh, and everyone who's told me that part of their story, I just want to say, yes, please. Like, the first and most important thing in all of our lives is your time with Jesus and your life in Christ. And don't let serving get in the way of that. But there needs to be a follow-up question to that as well. And the question needs to be, is the feeling of burnout or angst or frustration or feeling overwhelmed with the amount of activity Sometimes it's easy to place it on the church or on the things that um, cause us to feel the suffering that comes with saying no to the flesh. And what oftentimes we do is we go, that's the problem. We are at, the church is doing too much and asking too much. And then the response should be, okay, we should, we, should, we should consider that. And then the other side should be like, well, are you saying that's to your Netflix subscription too? Are we saying that to our social media? Are we saying that to the giants? Are we saying to Google, you're demanding way too much of me, dude? We laugh about it, right? And we should, but we shouldn't, right? Are we asking that of all these things that we spend all of our time on that is not helping us become like Christ, that is not leading us into the will of God? Are we asking that and saying, no, you you don't get any more of me. I need a break from you. Because the easier thing for us to do, because we're battling the flesh, is to take a break from the more important things and to sit back into the comfort and the leisure that all of this other stuff provides for us. And what Peter's strong suggestion and urge is that that is not the means to a fulfilled life that leads down a path towards, not towards God's will, but away from God's will. And so we at least have to ask that question. And when it comes back to the cups thing, we do this a lot with people and community. We oftentimes break free from it and pursue this freedom, especially in our Western individualism. And what we may not actually need is freedom from that relationship. We might need freedom from something else and step into that relationship for the purpose of the fulfilled life. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, what would you give more, um, what would give you more life if you cut it out? Would serving people in love and practicing hospitality give you more life and fulfillment if you cut that out? Or would cutting out casually scrolling on social media, watching Netflix documentaries, being overtaxed by your kids' activities just to hope that they get a scholarship somewhere, would that actually, cutting that out, provide more life and life to the full for you? And that's at least a question. It's not an indictment. That's our question in our day and age here in Milton to ask. Because that is the idolatry of our day that we chase. It's a gut check. And I have to take this gut check too. I'm saying that 
as a practitioner alongside you. I recently had Ashton, my wife, I had her change my password on Instagram and Facebook so I couldn't access it. And uh, so I'm here gloating, saying, look at me, I'm great. I did the right thing. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is I did that, and um, what I found myself doing the first two weeks was like, I was fighting like, okay, because I'm, I'm so used to being present in those spaces. That may not be your thing, but, but that stuff was my thing, just being present on social media and connecting and keeping up with whatever. And So I was fighting my own flesh like, okay, I've lost this. And then a couple weeks later, I found this beautiful space for like a week, not a couple weeks, this was only two weeks ago. It was like one week like that. The next week was like, wow, I feel free right now. And then immediately, like three days ago, I'm like spending so much time on my fantasy football thing. And I hate fantasy football. I hate it. I don't want to play fantasy football. I only do it because somebody asked me to fill a spot. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like here just like doing stuff I never cared about before. Didn't matter to me before at all. I still don't care about it, right? But it's something to busy myself again with and to rob me from the time that I could allocate towards the things that are going to bring life and life to the full. So I'm right there with us. Our life in Jesus and our pursuit of his transformative presence, it doesn't let us... It doesn't... um, Ah, That's poorly worded. What was I thinking? (laughs) Fantasy football. Move on to what Tom Wright says. (laughs) He's smart. Tom Wright, he says it like this, and I just thought this was helpful. He says, like the Messiah, we put on the mental armor that will make us strong to face the suffering which we may have to face. And here, suffering is given yet another meaning. Suffering, it seems, brings about a particular transformation of character. It makes you revalue or reevaluate your whole life. Sometimes it happens that someone who has had a potentially fatal stroke or heart attack makes a, re- a remarkable recovery. In such cases, people often say that they have rethought their whole lives. They have a new outlook on life, and they now realize much more clearly what matters and what doesn't. He goes on to say that in the same way, someone who has suffered for the gospel may attain a new kind of clarity. They see more sharply the kind of world that sin produces, and they know that they are done with it. And they see far more gloriously that God's will is the only thing worth following. 